God, please take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Uh, This is part two of last week's message on verse 12, where we are looking at Christ's second coming. The name of the message is get excited, you know. Uh, Jesus Christ is coming. And I mentioned to you, uh, confessed to you last week that, man, our fellowship, you know, uh, Blessed Hope Chapel, that's the name of our fellowship. The Blessed Hope is his return. And this fellowship was started on the basis of the reality that our final salvation takes place when Christ returns and he is our blessed hope. Uh, And my desire was to show you the blessedness of the blessed hope, that you'd be more excited about his coming because you are supposed to be more excited about his coming. And I said, when I confessed to you, I said it in the confession in the sense of, man, here our fellowship is called the Blessed Hope. We've had probably, I mean, we've had a ton of messages on the second coming, amen? I mean, I have a whole debate with Dr. Stoffer that we did a few years back over, and I was invited to debate their top uh, pre-trib uh, <laughs> uh, preacher over there, and we had a great time. That's, you can watch that online on Good Fight, uh, our Good Fight station, or our Good Fight web, uh, good fight site on YouTube, the whole, the entire, it's like a five, six hour debate, you know, and it went really, really well. Uh, so we're all into the second coming and of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. However, we don't believe that we, we, we do believe that we can get away from the excitement that we ought to have regarding his return. And we can start focused on things in this world and lose our focus on his return. And I've try to just constantly pray, Lord, you know, thy kingdom come. That's my heart is to be excited about his coming kingdom and so forth. But my confession was that I thought, man, this is really weird because I've been preaching the second coming for years and I'm excited about it. But I thought, well, if I miss the second coming and we die before Jesus returns, then we won't be here anticipating his blessed hope to save us from the darkness of this world when he comes at his second coming to defeat the Antichrist. And my confession was that, wow, the Lord opened my eyes to see Joe. The blessed hope is still the blessed hope and you're still going to anticipate it even after you die. And you know, you know that to a degree because we know that we return with Christ, amen? But it began to be just expanded in my heart and my conscience, my mind as I sought the Lord on this issue. And I got so excited because I'm already excited about the blessed hope of the Lord's return. But then when I started to think of it in terms of the eternal picture and that even after we die, that hope doesn't diminish. It only grows and becomes more intense. And then when you start to realize that, it has incredible impact on your walk now. I've gotten more and more excited because remember I shared the verse with you, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. He that has this hope, meaning of Christ's coming, purifies himself even as he is pure. Amen? And we saw a lot of verses that talk about how the blessed hope should impact our lives practically in regard to holiness, in regard to living for the Lord, in regard to being witnesses and hastening or speeding up the coming of the day of the Lord. Amen? We looked at scriptures on that. So if you, if you are interested in getting close to the Lord and living for him and having your life just being a witness for his glory, then you ought to be focused on the second coming of Christ. Amen? And I'm hoping this message will be, I hope you heard last message. If you didn't, make sure you hear it because that got a lot of really 
good responses from that, that people were impacted. And I hope, uh, you know, I couldn't get through the whole message. And I had such a short message as far as pages. I'm like, and I got, not even get halfway through. And I'm like, oh, Lord, God, you know. And then, praise God, I did add some pages to the second part. Probably, you know, so we'll be done at a good time as well. But I'm excited for you because I've been chomping on this. And uh, when, we, when we, had a, we had a little church vote when the church was new, when it was just a Bible study becoming a church, you know. And, uh, and I think I had two favorite ones, two favorite names for the fellowship. And we ended up voting for Blessed Hope Chapel. But the other title I loved a lot, and that was Lisa McFall came up with that. And Lisa, if we change our name, we might change it to this. <laughs> I love it. It's Flock on the Rock. How do you like that one? That'd be a pretty cool name, right? <laughs> I still uh, chuckle when I, when I say Flock on the Rock, and I, I love that. I, I love it. That, that's a good name, man, because we're the flock, and we ought to be on the rock. Amen. So if you're listening out there and you're a Blessed Hope Chapel, you're a live stream, you're becoming a Blessed Hope Chapel, and you want to change your name to Flock on the Rock, we might go for that with you. So praise God. And wow, speaking of old times, Mike and Lisa, right? It's like Doug was up here leading worship alone. Isn't that a trip? <laughs> it's, Doug was our worship leader for almost 10 years, you know, and uh, he's been leading worship more and more again. Um, so it's awesome. But you guys, turn to Revelation 22, 12. It's at the last chapter of the last book of the book of Revelation. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Wow. And we're looking at the first part of that. Another time we'll be looking at how, what the rewards look like and so forth and what that's about. But we looked at how he's coming quickly, and we looked at how some exegetes, some Bible commentators want to say, well, it's been 2,000 years, so it can't mean quickly in the sense that he's coming real soon. It must mean quickly, meaning the nature of his coming is going to be real fast. Because after all, it'll be like lightning shining from the east to the west. But I said, nah, that's not what's going on there. Because right after that, you know, he goes on to say, you know, uh, speak of his coming being near, okay? So he's not speaking of the nature of his coming being quick, even though that will be quick as well. But he's coming without a lot of, you know, delay from God's standpoint. And we looked at that, and we saw that God counts time different than we do, amen? A day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, Peter says. He says that in the context of how people that are mocking will mock God, and he predicted it, will say, where's the promise of his coming? But they're ignorant, he says, of the fact that God once flooded the earth, and he's going to come back again, and that the only reason he delays is because he wants more souls to be saved. And we all rejoice that he waited long enough for us to get saved, amen? And then he says, hasten the coming of the day of God. The Greek word means to speed it up. How do we speed it up? The gospel of the kingdom, we preach in all the worlds, it witness to all the nations, then the end will come. We get off our rear ends and we shine the light of Jesus Christ, amen? We share the gospel. And the gospel is going out throughout the entire earth, amen? Praise God for that. Did you know in the last 50 years or so, more Muslims have been saved and come to Jesus than for the first, you know, 1,400 years before that? Do you know that? More Muslims, it's been estimated, have been saved just in the last 50 years, have come to Christ. Many of them are coming to Christ right now in Iran. There's all these uprisings right now, amen? And God's getting their attention. There's even a UFC fighter, you know, for, who's Iranian, who the Iranians love, and he's preaching the gospel, you know? I don't know much about him, but I just know that he's preaching 
salvation through Christ. And all kinds of, they say the greatest revival on earth right now is taking place in Iran. Now, I don't know how you exactly can, can see that, but you can see that with numbers of people coming to Christ. But if it's even close to true, praise God, amen? So the gospel is going forward and we need to be about our Father's business. Now, I stopped midstream in the middle of a message, almost the middle of a message last week, but I was emphasizing before I ended how it, based on Christ coming back, we need to be purifying ourselves as he is pure because we want to be like him, even as a bride will get her dress together and make sure it's without stain, amen, before she sees her bridegroom, amen. And we are the bride of Christ, and he is our bridegroom. And a bride who could care less about her wedding, which is a week away, and she knows her dress is messed up, uh-uh, that's probably not a very wise bride, amen. Same with believers. We see the signs of the times, and the gospel spreading, by the way, is one of the evidences, or one of the signs of the times, by the way. Gospel kingdom we preach in all the worlds, witness all nations, and the end will come. We ought to make sure that we are living holy lives, amen. And that if we have stains in our lives, we need to confess them before the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible says, he that refuses to confess his sins is not wise, will not prosper, will not be blessed. But the one who confesses and forsakes his sin, that person will be blessed, it says. And we need to make sure we're cleansed and we're walking. In 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Amen. So we need to make sure we're trusting Jesus. Amen. So it's very, very important. And we need to make sure we put off the old clothes. We're putting off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. Amen. Amen. In fact, listen to Romans. And I, this is one of the passages I ended with. But it, for the sake of bringing you up to speed and catching up where we were last time, it's a powerful passage. It's just a few verses in Romans 13, 11 through 13. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from the, your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Amen? Wake up from your slumber. Wake up spiritually to the reality, the spiritual reality that Christ is coming back. To the reality that every knee and every tongue will bow before Lord Jesus Christ and confess that he is Lord. Amen? Amen? That's the future. Everyone will be bowing. Everyone. And he says our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And by the way, this is one of the most neglected teachings in all of Scripture. Our final salvation. In fact, when you look at the word saved, it's used way more in the present and in the future tense than it is ever used in the past tense. That doesn't negate that we understand and we believe that we have been saved, amen? That we are saved, right? If you're trusting Jesus, you're already saved, amen? You're justified. You're in Christ Jesus. You're robed in his righteousness, amen? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To die today, you'd be with the Lord if you're trusting him, amen? However, the Bible says, well, not only have we been saved, we've been justified, amen, but we're being saved, we're being sanctified, we're becoming made in the image of Christ, becoming more like Jesus, we're transformed from glory to glory. If you're trusting Jesus, man, you are being transformed from glory to glory, amen? And it says, though the outer man is perishing, the inner person is being renewed day by day. How many of you, especially those of you who are getting older, like me, are grateful for that verse, amen? All the older people are smiling. Some of the younger people are laughing, you know? Hey, you'll get there. Don't wait because day is like a thousand years. A thousand years like a day. It happens quick. <laughs> but since the Lord says he's coming quickly from his perspective, from his eternal perspective, we went through a lot of verses, didn't we? 
We went through a lot of verses that showed that our lifespan is very short in God's eyes. Amen? Amen? It's over quick. It compared it to what? A hand's breadth of vapor, right? Just a, a puff of smoke, right? To nothing compared to eternity. And even so, in light of the Lord's coming, he says to him, a thousand years is like a day. So how many days has it been since the Lord, from his perspective, said he'd come back? Two days. Coming quickly. If he came a thousand years from now, it would just be three days. It's like nothing to him. And he wants us to see things from his perspective more. And that we ought to do. But he says, your salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Brothers and sisters, please understand this, because most Christians don't know this. They always think of, I was saved. They don't think about how I'm going to still be saved. And that there's a lot more to the package than what we have. There's a lot more to the package than simply being born again. And praise God we're born again, amen? He that has a son has a life. He that does not have a son does not have a life, amen? We have eternal life right now, amen? These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. So many people like Roman Catholics and others don't know. In fact, it's an anathema within Roman Catholicism to say that you have eternal life and know it. Really? That's a contradiction of 1 John 5, 13 to say you can't know it. In fact, he wants us to know we have eternal life. Amen. However, the Bible also speaks of salvation being future. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, he that endures the end shall be what? Saved. Future tense. Right here, our salvation is nearer to us than we first believed. We've been saved, we're being saved, but the last third of our salvation is coming up. Amen? Amen. There's a lot more to it and a lot more to appreciate than most Christians understand. And we start to get our head around that. We start to anticipate that. In fact, there's many scriptures that speak about how we have eternal life right now. Amen? And that we had received in the past. Yet those who, right, persevere, those who continue to follow Jesus... Like in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it gives the works of the flesh and it says, no, we're certain. I've said these, I warned you before, Paul says, even as I warn you again, know for certain that those who practice these things, these deeds of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But in chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. He that sows the flesh will from the flesh reap what? Corruption. But he that sows the spirit will reap eternal life. And we shall reap if we continue, he says. So that's something that we reap in the future. It says, Jesus says those who, you know, he talked about as sheep will go into eternal life. Amen? Amen? So salvation, eternal life has already happened for us. We're in Christ right now, but we are going to experience it in a fuller context in the resurrection and the very presence of the one who is life, Jesus Christ, amen? So we need to start getting more excited about that, amen? And we start to understand the past, present, and future aspect of salvation, you start to get more excited and say, wow. And it's not just sitting in some cloud playing a harp as we've talked about, man. It's serving Jesus in the fullness of joy. Joy inexplicable, full of glory, it says in the scripture. That's coming. And right now we have tasted the heavenly gift. We experience that joy right now in the fruit of the spirit, amen? Are you following right now? You with me? Praise God. So he says, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is already over. The day is almost here. So then put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Man, I'm not going to dress up like a demon on the 31st of this month on Halloween and dress up with the clothes of darkness or a witch. 
I'm not going to celebrate Halloween. We've got three different articles I've written through the years on our Good Fight site on Halloween. The last one was Halloween, a satanic holiday. It's been a satanic holiday for almost 2,000 or more years that the Druids celebrated. In Ireland, it's a national holiday because that's where it originated, and it's still celebrated today. And you get a trick or you get a treat. And the idea was this was a time when all the, the dead were released to haunt people and visit homes and so forth and demonic entities. And I quote this Encyclopedia uh, Britannica, which talks about Samhain and it was this, this festival of the dead and how uh, it was a day where you could worship demons and even Satan, you know. And you dress up, you, you were fearful though because they understood the spiritual world was very demonic and evil and dark. And it was a fearful holiday because you would make jack-o'-lanterns look really demonic and put them in your front yard to scare away the demons or the dead. And they would come, want a trick or a treat, man. If you don't appease them and give them offering to them, then they're going to play a trick on you. You could get a disease. You could have any kind of horrific thing happen to you. So you want to appease them by giving offerings to the dead or to the spirits, whichever spirits they were, which was a form of worship. We don't offer things to demons. The Bible says the gods, the nations are demons, amen. Jesus gave the ultimate offering and now we give the offerings of our lips in thanksgiving that he gave himself for us to pay for our sins on the cross, amen. So as Christians, we don't put on darkness. In fact, right here he says, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, which happens a lot on the 31st, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves, doesn't say like a witch, like a demon, like some spooky character, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So we're supposed to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Become more like him. Put on his communicable attributes. You've heard me say, listen, it's important. There are two types of attributes that God has relative to us. There are the incommunicable attributes that make him God, that are essential to his being, that we will never possess because he's the uncreated creator of all things, amen? Omnipresent, omniscient, amen? Infinite. We can, we'll never be gods. Anybody tells you that we can be gods, that's a lie from Genesis chapter 3 from Satan. But we have the communicable attributes because we're made in his image, as his image bearers, amen? So the fruit of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God, amen? amen? By the way, when you're talking to someone like a Jehovah Witness and they say, well, the Holy Spirit's not God, he's just God's energy force. He's just like an impersonal force. That's what they say. That's so ridiculous. He's spoken of as a person over and over again. In the book of Acts, it says, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them over and over again. It says that, amen? And the fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and joy and long-suffering. Do you get that from electricity? How many can stick a, a, a fork into your energy? Don't do this at home, okay? And all of a sudden, I'll, oh, I'm so much more loving. Look at this energy force. It's never, never going to happen, okay? It's just going to fry you. Right, Mike? Right? Our resident electrician. He does great work, by the way, if you need help. He's an amazing brother. So anyway, it's interesting when you think about this, is, by the way, the Holy Spirit, you know how you prove he's God? Remember when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts chapter 5? And they, one after another, fell dead because they both told the same lie. Peter says, you didn't lie to man, but you lied to who? 
And then he says, but you didn't lie to man, but you lied to, the, you lied to God. After right after it says he lied to the Holy Spirit. That's, there's, I did a whole teaching on the Holy Spirit as God in the Old Testament. Now, clothe yourselves. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not sexual morality and debauchery, not dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, we want to make sure we clothe ourselves. And I won't read the whole text, but I also mentioned 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, where it says we shall not sleep, right? The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive will be caught up at the Lord's coming, right, to meet, him in the air, meet them in the air and be with them. We're going to be meet, that's called the rapture. We'll be caught up, okay? Harpazo is a Greek word. It can be used as a snatch. He's just going to snatch us off the earth, and then he's going to bring his, pour out his wrath on the Antichrist and his kingdom. And he says, you know very well that the day of the Lord, which is the second coming in judgment, will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and security, the world's going to be saying that, right? Their sudden destruction will come upon them like a thief in the night, and they shall not escape. But we are not in darkness, it says. We are not in darkness. Those true Christians that are following Jesus are not in darkness that that day should overcome us like a thief. But we are children of the light, amen? Now, the day comes upon everybody, but it, then, but it comes on the wicked who are saying peace and security, putting their trust in the Antichrist, boom, with wrath. But it says we're not appointed to wrath, but to salvation. There's our final salvation again, the part third of our, the third part of our first, second, the third, our final salvation. We're not appointed to wrath, but to salvation. Amen? So when Christ comes back, just before the Christ is destroyed, It'll be like lightning shining from the east to the west, and every eye will see him, and we'll be caught up, boom, to meet the Lord in the air. And our loved ones in Christ, amen. And we'll come back with him. He's not doing a U-turn, going back up. He's coming to reign and rule, amen. He's like, come down, back up, like a yo-yo. No, he's coming, he's catching us up. Then he's coming to stand on the Mount of Olives, and we'll rule with him, it says, for a thousand years. And later in Revelation 21 and 22, it says, we'll rule with him forever and ever. Amen. I'm excited about that. Get excited. Because that's going to happen whether you are here when Christ comes or you're not. The dead in Christ will rise first, then we are alive. We'll be caught up to meet them in the air. But Paul goes on to say, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. I didn't even anticipate this fitting with Halloween. Isn't that weird? Like, wow, this really fits what's coming up, Halloween. We're not of the night. I was just doing the second coming. I wasn't going to do a Halloween message, but hey, I'm going to put some of it in there, man, because it fits, Amen. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith. Putting on, not witches' hats, okay? Not ghostly outfits, not sheets. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You want a, you want a helmet to protect your mind? How can a man, how can someone keep their, their mind? How can you have peace? He that keeps his mind stayed on the Lord will be kept in perfect peace, it says. Keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your focus on his return. Keep your focus on the fact that he's coming back, amen? And if you're focused on Jesus, no matter what happens in this world, you can have peace. Then he says this, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? Because of Jesus shed blood, dying for our sins, we're not going to suffer the wrath of God. But guess what? 
you must keep your focus on Jesus. He said, he that endures the end shall be saved. He didn't say those who are saved shall endure to the end, as some people want to read that. No, nope. he said he that endures to the end will be saved. Final salvation. When he comes like a thief in the night. When does that happen? Any moment. No, it doesn't happen any moment. Read Matthew chapter 24 when Jesus said he's coming like a thief. Read a few verses before that. And it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the powers of heaven will be shaken, there will be sound of a great trumpet, and the stars will fall from the skies, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in glory, amen, with power and glory, amen. And he'll gather up his chosen ones, his elect, from one end of the earth to the other, amen. I like what Mark says, from the farthest ends of the heavens and the farthest ends of the earth, amen. What does that mean? The dead in Christ, amen, farthest ends of the heavens and the earth, those who are alive when he comes. That's the rapture. And Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, concerning Christ's coming, he says, and our being gathered together to him, the rapture, he says, don't let anyone deceive you by any means, by word or letter as from us or spirit of demon. Don't let any Satan deceive you in any way. He says, for that day, what day? His coming to gather us up will not come until when? Until the Antichrist comes first. The fallen away and the Antichrist comes first. And then it says in verse 8, the wicked one will be revealed, and the Lord will slay him with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. Same Greek word, parousia, coming there. Concerning Christ's coming is parousia, and our gathered together gather to him. Don't let anyone see you. It's not happening until there's a fallen away, and there's Antichrist. Then he'll slay him with the brightness, the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his parousia. That's what the church believed, by the way, for the first 1,800 years of church history, that there was one second coming, now we're being taught there's a second coming and a third coming, you know. Second coming just before the tribulation because God wouldn't let King's kids suffer. Really? Ask the apostles, man. Almost every one of them were killed. Okay. Look at the early church. They suffered a lot. Amen. We're not appointed to wrath. God will protect us from wrath even as he protected God's, he protected his people in the land of Goshen. Remember in Egypt? He'll protect us. Amen. But notice again, he tells us what to put on. What to put on. The Lord is so good. In Revelation 16, it talks about when this thief coming will happen. Romans 16, 14 through 16, it talks about at Armageddon. Not before the tribulation, at Armageddon. Listen to what it says. It speaks of demonic spirits that go to the kings of the earth to gather them together against God for the battle of Armageddon. And it says in light of that, be ready for Christ's coming because he's coming like a thief. But make sure he doesn't come like a thief to you. Make sure you're ready. Amen. Amen. They are demonic spirits, Revelation 16, 14 that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Look, says Jesus, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed. Remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamelessly exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place in the Hebrew. It's called Armageddon. So it's come like a thief, man. After the tribulation period. We don't know the day and the hour, but we know the season. The signs let us know. Jesus says in Matthew 24, when the fig tree begins to blossom, you know that summer is near. Even when you begin to see these things, you know that my coming is at the door. And when we see his coming getting closer, we're supposed to lift up our heads for our redemption. Our salvation draws near, our final salvation. I don't know how people can read the Bible 
and not see final salvation everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. I'm just stumbling upon verses, so to speak, that I'm not even planning to talk about final salvation in this message. They're just there. And that's when I read the scripture, I see, wow, that's so underemphasized. Because people want to emphasize, well, once you've been saved, that's it. No. The Bible talks about continuing to be saved and finally being saved. Amen. Even though if we are to die today, we die fully saved, but not with the full benefits of our salvation until the resurrection. Amen. Amen. Now, it's interesting. You don't want to be caught naked. You want to be caught unclothed, it says here, at Christ's coming. What do you mean unclothed? We have the garments of our salvation on. Jesus said to the church of Sardis, when he warned the seven churches, which many of the warnings and promises connect to the rest of the book of Revelation because the church is connected to the book of Revelation and the end times. And this letter is not addressed to non-believing Jews who get saved after a supposed rapture that's pre-trib. It's addressed to the church so we can, in fact, the very first chapter, it's to the churches. The last chapter, like bookends, to the churches. Okay, verse 16, 22, if you still have that chapter open. It's addressed to the churches of what's going to happen. And you know what he says to the church of Sardis? I'm coming like a thief. He says, you have some among you who have soiled their clothes, their garments. They've infected themselves with sin. And they need to repent. They need to get right. Jesus says, he that overcomes will walk with me in white clothing. And I will confess his name before my father and the angels. And I will not erase his name out of the book of life. Amen. That's why you want to make sure you're an overcomer. How do you overcome? Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Thank you for the blood. And by the word of their testimony, our confession of trusting Jesus' blood, and they loved not their lives even to the point of death. They continued in the faith. Now, you don't want to be caught naked. Remember, how many of you experienced the Northridge earthquake so many years ago? Anybody remember that? Some of you weren't born yet, okay? It was in the 1800s. No. No, I think it was 1994, right? Anybody remember that? My wife and I were tripping, man. We went under the big old table and crashing, you know, glasses coming out of the deal. And one glass would drink, not that one. Then she'd see them, not that one. No, she wasn't like that. She was just putting her nails into my arm, you know. But while that was happening, man, I read in, was it Herald Examiner, one of the newspapers back then, Daily News, I didn't get the LA Times. Uh, but I, I read about a man, they, you know, in a hotel, and he just ran through the lobby, just totally naked, you know. And I'm like, okay, glad they didn't give his name. Come on, guys, you know. But I thought that would be embarrassing. Well, we're not talking about being physically naked at his coming. We're talking about being physically, spiritually clothed, amen. To be spiritually naked would be, with, to be without the clothes or the garments of salvation, amen. Because you don't want to be found in your own righteousness. Because the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord, Amen then we'd suffer God's wrath. We'd come out of the wickedness of the world. We'd change our clothes, so to speak. we put on Jesus through faith, amen? And when you put your trust in Jesus and you're trusting in Jesus, you're clothed in his righteousness, amen? Paul said in Philippians 3, not that I would not be, not that I'd be found in my own righteousness, because then we're doomed, but in the righteousness that comes through faith in the Son of God, amen? So we put our faith in Jesus, man. We're clothed in the righteousness of God, amen? We're in Christ, we're part of the body of Christ. He is our righteousness through faith in his atonement. So you want to stay awake spiritually, observing the signs of the time, saying these are, point to Jesus coming. I want to make sure my heart's right. And I may die before he comes back, but I'm still going to face him, amen? 
and stand before him. And even when I stand before him, I'm still going to have the blessed hope. Go to Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through 37. And there's a whole lot here in Luke chapter 12. We don't have time to go through all of it about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting. In Luke 12, he says, verse 35, pick it up. Be dressed and ready. Be what? Dressed. Be dressed. Is he talking physically, you think? Like just always go to bed with your clothes on and your boots on or whatever? No. He's talking about spiritually. Be dressed. And they would understand what he means by this. Now I'm going to, as you look at this and we get into it, it's pretty cool. It's pretty heavy. It makes you think and it should impact your life. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Is he talking about physical lamps or spiritual lamps? Spiritual lamps. Jesus said that the eye is a lamp of the body. And those who have darkness, he said, how great is that darkness? But those who know Jesus, he lives within us, amen? The Holy Spirit lives within us. He is the light of the world, amen? And we let him shine. He said, don't hide your light under a bushel, but let it shine so men can see it, right? You don't put a light under a bushel or under a basket. Uh, you put it up so everybody can see, have light in the room. Even so, let your light shine that people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, amen? Are you doing good deeds for Jesus? You don't do that to be saved, but that's evidence that you're trusting him. So you look to him for your salvation and you're saved by his grace through what's happened on the cross and his resurrection, amen? But faith that works is dead. If we're truly trusting him, there should be evidence. So our light should be shining. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. That just trips me out. Jesus is going to come and wait on us. Yep. In, New, in, the, in, the, uh, in the millennial kingdom. <laughs> wow. Because we are just made from dirt and we blew it, man. And I said, we're really dirt bags, amen, honestly. And I said, you're like, if anyone was insulted, I'd say, well, hey, sorry, but you're even worse than a dirt bag because a bag of dirt does as an evil. It's just a bag of dirt. And we are bags of dirt who have done evil, amen, who deserve wrath and judgment because of our depravity. But God in his wonderful grace, man, drew us to himself, amen, revealed himself to us, amen, gave us a new heart and a new life. And now we're not dirt bags so much. We're restored into the image that we were created in, amen. And we're, we're these earthen vessels now shining the treasure that we have within us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because he says he will wait on us. Remember when Jesus said he came? He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom, right? Thank God for that, amen? Now it's interesting. He's going to serve us in that kingdom. Wow. And it's like, well, he wants me to praise him and say, well, you, you ought to. He gave you life, amen? He redeemed you by his blood. If, if you don't sing and worship him and praise him, the rocks will cry out. They're, they're happy to be rocks, even though they don't have consciousness. It's more of a picture, right? But we should be happy to be saved, amen? But guess what? You know what it says in Zephaniah chapter 3? That God will sing over you. Whew, wow, that's a blow mind. We talked about that recently, so I won't get into that, but that just trips me out. So it makes sense. He'll serve us too. He doesn't have to, but God is love, amen? He wants to bless us. But it's interesting. He wants us to be ready. 
And he goes on to say, if you're not ready, and you say, oh, my Lord delays his coming. And you begin to get drunk with the drunkards and, you know, and beat the maidservants. And you're living in the flesh then. He'll come at a time that you are not ready. And he'll cut you in pieces and put you with the unbelievers. That's what it says. Where does unbelievers go? Revelation 21.8. But the unbelieving, right? The cowardly, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their place, it says, will be in the lake of fire. So he warns them. He calls them little flock. He says, make sure you're ready. So we all need to make sure we're ready for Christ's return. Amen? But, but what if I die before he comes back? It's covered. The Bible says he calls us to number our days to know our lives are short so we might prepare our heart rightly before him and be ready when we die too, amen? Amos says, prepare to meet your God. Are you prepared to meet God? Are you prepared today, if you were to die, to be with the Lord? Make sure you have confessed your sins and you're following Jesus, amen, that you're trusting him and that you're ready now, what imagery? We keep seeing making sure you're dressed, right? Making sure you're ready. And we talked about it being spiritual. But how would they have understood that in the first century? In the Greco, you know, Roman area there and uh, in the Ain community, ancient Near East, but specifically the Jews, how would they have understood readiness with their background? This is really, really powerful. Remember the Exodus, and it's kind of funny because when Chad was doing announcements, he talked about the exodus in Egypt was a picture, you know, and the deliverance from Egypt of our salvation. I thought it's funny because I'm talking about that a little bit today. And remember when God's people, the Jews, were there enslaved for many, many years. They were in Egypt for over 400 years. And then Pharaoh was a picture of Antichrist. Remember, he, the Pharaohs had doubled the workload, right? Were oppressive, claimed to be God. I mean, there are all kinds of different gods, Ra being the highest god. But guess what? Pharaoh was considered an embodiment of Ra. And as the embodiment of Ra, he was considered the highest god over the other gods. And I've gone through this before, showing you that each judgment of the 10 plagues was a judgment on the gods of Egypt. Why? Because God wanted to show his people he was one true God. Not just his people, but to show the Egyptians that he was one true God. And that's why when they got delivered from Egypt, it was a mixed multitude, not just Hebrews but also Egyptians, some Egyptians went too. They saw who the one God was. And man, when there was darkness, Ra, the light of Ra, because Ra was depicted by Horus or the sun God. Ra was the sun God. The sun belonged to God. It's just a creation, but God just blots it out. Nope, that's not your salvation, man. But the 10th plague, God killed the firstborn. Keep in mind, the Pharaoh previous to that had killed the firstborn of the Israelites. This was God's vengeance coming upon them. Remember, that's why Moses was hidden and sent down the brook and preserved as a picture of Christ coming out of Egypt as Jesus came out of Egypt. And he delivers people as Jesus delivers people. And Moses was at the right hand of Pharaoh, right? You know? But he, he humbled himself and became a savior. Jesus at the right hand of the Father. He left his palace, amen, and became our savior, amen? amen. And Pharaoh was a picture of the Antichrist. And Jannies and Jambres, his two magicians, are a picture of the false prophet in the end times who has two horns representing deception and power. Now, it's interesting when you think about this because when the 10th plague took place, they needed to get ready because Pharaoh was going to finally break and let God's people go. But notice what happens. Go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 7. Really fascinating. 
Look what they were called to do before their journey to the promised land. Then they are to take some of the blood. That's in chapter 12 of Exodus, verse 7. Exodus 12, 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So when that, pa- that death angel passes over, he's going to destroy the firstborn of every home. But you take the blood, and what are you supposed to do? Make an outline of the cross. Take the blood of a lamb. Remember, we talked about that. Jesus is the Lamb of God. These lambs were pictures of Jesus. Amen? The Bible says that Jesus, our Passover lamb, was crucified for us. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. And what day was Jesus crucified on? Do you remember? On Passover day. Okay? When all the Jews, you know, were celebrating that. that. And the Passover lambs were likely put on spits. When I've seen lambs cooked on spits, they're put in the form of a cross. Well, Jesus is up on the cross as the Lamb of God. I find no fault in him. Pilate said, well, that's right, because the lamb had to be spotless. Amen? And Jesus is there dying on the cross, you know, 1,500 years later as the Lamb of God. But you're to take some of the blood and put it on. Now, this happened 3,500 years ago, 1,500 years before Christ. Look what it says. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That's the sides and the top. And of course, at top, it would drip down. You'd have a perfect cross of the lamb. And then the death angel would pass over because of the blood of the lamb. We're not appointed to wrath because of what? The blood of the lamb. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But look what it goes on to say. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire because guess what? Jesus suffered what we deserve on the cross and it was more like a roasting in the fire than just, you know, he suffered God's wrath. Amen. And there's several ways he suffered hell on the cross for us. I thirst. We would thirst forever. It's dark. It became fully dark. We'd be in outer darkness. Amen. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We'd be forever forsaken. Amen. But Jesus suffered in our place on the cross. Do not eat the raw meat or the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with the, with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. He said it is finished. He went through the full sacrifice he needed to come to go through. But look at verse 11. Very interesting. This is how you are to eat it with your what? Cloak tucked into your belt. What do you mean a cloak tucked in your belt? Your sandals on your feet. Your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In other words, guess what? That 10th plague is going to take place, man. All kinds of the firstborn of the Egyptians are going to be put to death. Your firstborn will be alive. Pharaoh's going to let you go, but you need to take off. God knows that Pharaoh's going to change his mind. Amen. You need to be ready to go. How are you ready to go? Your clothes need to be right, man. Your cloak. They didn't wear shirts and pants like we wear now. Okay, the men wore like robes, like, you know, women, you know, but they look different, but they wore these robes. Do you ever try to run in a robe? Come on, man, you're saying, well, I don't wear a robe, but do you ever wear a robe? We have some wear robes in the morning or whatever before they go to bed at night or whatever. Women, is it tough to run in dresses? Yeah. Don't raise your hand if you're a guy. You know, you just need to repent. Amen. 
get right with Jesus, okay? But it's tough to run in a robe or a dress, so they'd hike up their robe and stick it in their belt so they could move and have their staff ready because they're pilgrims, man. Egypt was not their home. This is not your home. You need to have your staff ready spiritually. You need to have your robe, so to speak, cloak tucked in your belt, ready to leave this world. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, it's interesting because there's a picture here. In fact, Peter used this picture. He talks about being ready for Christ's second coming. And you know what he says to do? Listen to this, 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, gird up your loins, the, the loins of your mind, and be sober. Meaning with your mind, our mind, my mind doesn't wear clothes. Spiritually, it does. And you need to make sure you're ready in your mind. And he's talking about Christ's second coming in that context, for Jesus' coming. And Peter talks about how we are sojourners here. We are pilgrims here, passing through. This is just our temporary abode, Peter says. And we must pass our sojourning here with fear, fear of God, and have holy conduct, meaning walking with Jesus. Amen? So Peter uses imagery that do not put your tent stakes too deep into the ground. And guess what? They hauled off. If they didn't haul off and they kind of waited around, it's oh, no big deal. I'm not leaving with Moses and everybody, and Aaron and all those guys. Well, guess what? When Pharaoh changed his mind, be too late. Amen. Then Jesus says when he comes back, when he comes, you know, we see the signs of his coming. If you're in Jerusalem, take off to the mountains. Don't go back and get your cloak. Take off. Amen. That's when it gets really late in the tribulation period. But be ready for his return. Amen. Are you with me still? Go to Luke 21. Even if you lost me for a few minutes, you're going to be back on track. Luke chapter 21, verse 34. Be on guard. Luke 21, 34. Jesus is talking about the end times. He's talking about the tribulation period. He's talking about going through the tribulation period. Just a few verses before this, he talks about his second coming in glory, where they'll see the Son of Man, right? And stand before the Son of Man at the second coming after the tribulation. That's Luke 21. But then he says a little bit after that, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation. That's just like full of just, un or just wantonness and lust and, and drunkenness and the worries of life. You know your heart can get weighed down. It's really hard for people to travel when they're filled with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. Remember Lot's wife? She looked back. It worked so good for her. And that day will not come upon you, what? Suddenly, like a trap. Because be like a thief. It's be like a trap for many people. But he says, don't be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and worries of life. And that day will not come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the earth, on the face of the earth. On everybody else besides true, genuine believers that are following Jesus, it's going to come like a trap, his coming. Like a thief in the night, right? Verse 35. For it will come upon them, all those who dwell on the face of the earth, verse, verse 36 now, but keep on alert at all times, right? All times. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand, what? Before the Son of Man. What's he talking about? Pray that we'd have uh, strength to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. Well, the reference is the coming of the Son of Man. It says Son of Man, just a few verses earlier, is his second coming in glory. We want to make sure at the end of the tribulation, at his second coming, that we're ready to be with him. Amen? Amen. 
But when he says escape all these things, he's not talking about not being here when they happen because he says pray that you'd have the what? Strength. You don't need strength to be raptured. That's not what he's talking about. He's not having strength, spiritual strength to persevere through the trials. But if you're filled with, but if you're drunk, you're all worried about the things of this world. Oh man, I need, I, I gotta, I, I, I gotta, I gotta feed myself, man. I think I'm going to take the mark of the beast. Well, you'll be weighed down forever. So you need to be on your guard. And the, by the way, the word escape is ekbasis in the Greek. And it's used every time you see the New Testament, whenever it gives a context, it shows a context that's coming out of something that you're in already. Like Paul escaping in a basket from his persecutors. Amen. And when they go through these things, he tells them at this point, in this context, look up for your redemption is drawing near. Amen. So it's important that we're dressed spiritually, that we're spiritually awake. To be awake doesn't mean just doesn't mean physically. It doesn't mean I can't believe that message. I'm never going to sleep again. No, you will fall asleep again physically. He's not concerned about that. He's concerned about spiritual sleep. What's spiritual sleep? Darkness, living in darkness, getting drunk, partying, you know, having just a filthy lifestyle, living in sexual perversion living in hatred and unforgiveness and malice toward other people, living with bitterness, mocking those who live a holy life, justifying a wicked life, refusing to love others, refusing to love your brothers and sisters. That's darkness, man. In fact, go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Again, we're talking about the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is talking about the end times. He says in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 24, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Of what day? No one knows the day and hour. Now of that day. He doesn't say that in a vacuum. There's a context. Now of that day, right? That day. What day? But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels. Back up. What day is time? Oh, just back up six or seven verses. 29 through 31, that's where he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the Son of Man will come in glory. That day, his coming after the tribulation. Some say, oh, Matthew 24 is not really for us, but then they want to use this verse. Really? Thought it wasn't for you. Oh, but I, I like that verse. Because it fits like I can make it fit a pre-trib rapture. No, <laughs> it doesn't fit a pre-trib rapture. It fits the post-trib rapture of Christ gathering his elect, and that's the only rapture we read about in the New Testament. Amen. Verse 37, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So it will be in the coming of the Son of Man be. So we come to Christ, amen? When we go into the ark, what happens? The flood hits, the world's destroyed. And we go to be with Jesus, amen? Now, Peter says that the ark is a type or picture of Christ in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, the ark was, if when you look at the dimensions, it was shaped like a huge casket. It wasn't like this luxury, beautiful cruise liner. It was like a big casket floating in the water. That's because of the picture of Jesus' death. And Peter says it went through the water, which is a picture of baptism and a picture of our salvation. Even though we're saved prior to baptism, baptism is a, is a picture, amen, that shows uh, 
what Christ did for us, death, burial, and resurrection. The ark is a picture of Christ. They were in the ark, it's a picture of Christ. It goes through the water and comes back up. We are in Jesus. Jesus is our ark, amen? amen. And he died and he rose again. And we died in him and we rise in him, amen? Now, it's really beautiful, guys, because he said it'll be like the days of Noah. That's sad. But thank God we have an ark, amen? Thank God we have an ark. It'll be like the days of Noah. What was it like in the days of Noah? You don't have to go there, but if you read in Genesis chapter 6, it says that people began to multiply on the earth. There was a population explosion. In the last hundred years, there's been the greatest population explosion ever in history. By far and away, it's just <laughs> exploded. There was sexual perversion. The sons of God were having relations with the daughters of men. Sexual perversion everywhere. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, look what's going on in our world, man. With all this wickedness. Because Jesus said it also be like the days of Lot. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? There was also violence. It says violence filled the earth, Genesis chapter 6. Wow. It says the thoughts of men were only evil continually. Sound familiar? There was just massive crime. Right now, the crime wave is just huge in the world that we live in right now. I mean, it's so through the rough record numbers of crimes right now. And by the way, it's, even, it's way worse than we even, they even say. You know why? Because I remember watching crime grow through my ministry. And I remembered when I was working with a in, uh, private investigator, or not a private investigator, it was worth a, uh, well, I just made a simple call. So I don't even say working with, but I just, I encouraged uh, a, uh, a Simi Valley police officer and, an, uh, you know, basically a detective. I encouraged, I won't go through all the details, but I said, hey, I think you can get this guy because this guy that came to our church and was going to another church, bouncing around a little bit, but I suspected something of him and I warned him just because I saw who he was hanging out with. And I said, hey, if you don't ever travel with one of our young ladies alone, and it's a long story, but I warned the family, and uh, the mother didn't want to believe it at first. And I said, no, I think there might be something going on. I warned the guy. I said, don't you ever travel with... The guy goes, I would never do anything like that. Are you kidding? I don't even... I never even have a lustful thought. As he's smoking a cigarette, I go, well, you're smoking a smoke right now. I mean, you obviously aren't perfect, dude. And then, by the way, I just had a strong conviction based on a little bit of information I got, but not evidence. And then, uh, then the gal just started bawling before her mom, saying, well, he's, he's, what he's considering, it happened, it's true. Because she was there when I was talking to the mom, and she first didn't want to give it up because, you know, can you imagine being in that situation? A really neat gal, but taken advantage of. And guess what, man? Boom. Uh, they got in touch with the police, but they had no evidence. But I called the police department and I said to a man who had been, I think, lieutenant at that time, this would be a good time because I think he's going to call her. And sure enough, they put a sting little operation together. He called her and, uh, at that time and the police officer gave him her things to say and he, he, and he responded to them admitting that he did those things not knowing he was being recorded. She just talked about what he did to her. They arrested him, okay? He was put away for a few years, came back out, was in Simi Valley. They checked his phone on probation officer and saw that he had another young girl on his phone, which was not legal, arrested him again. But you know, I say this because a police officer came to my house and Lisa and I were home and he told me, he said, hey, Joe, he goes, I just want to let you know I was really aggravated by you when you first, you know, I'm a, we're the police, we handle this stuff. And you called saying we should do this right now. And he goes, I want to say, I was aggravated. Like, who does this guy think he is? I, didn't, I just thought it might be good timing, and it was, right? And he goes, hey, 
I just want to let you know I apologize, he goes, because that was key. And this is the words that broke my heart. He said, because so much of this goes on right now that we don't even investigate it very far. We don't bring it, we investigate it, but we don't bring it to trial because it happens so much now. So many kids are getting abused that we only can prosecute the cases that are real clear. And because of us following up on what you said, we got a real clear case and we're able to bring this to trial and I believe we're gonna get this guy. And they did, amen? But what broke my heart, there's all kinds of crimes they're not even really prosecuting. That are, that there's, what I'm saying is a crime wave was, at that time in my life, way beyond what the numbers would say. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what's going on today, people get ripped off stores all the time. They let people go. So even though the numbers are record numbers, they're way worse than we even know. Are you with me? So we are in, these are signs of the times. But you know, in Genesis chapter 7, verses 13 through 16, we found out there was only one door. And when Noah and his family went to the ark, that door was closed. Amen? Amen. And Jesus is the door. Amen? Amen? He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Amen? Hallelujah. And it's key, it's, it's critical that we get this right. Go to Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 30. Make sure you go into the ark. His name is Jesus. Amen? He is the one that you have to be in if you're going to be saved from the wrath to come. Amen? You know, uh, the story, I love the story of a, of a guy and his daughter and there's a huge fire all around them. And then it was like they were sure as dead and the man takes his daughter into a really burnt area with fire all around them. He said, Dad, why are we in this ugly area? He said, because the fire already burned here, honey. It's not gonna burn here again, amen. Jesus already suffered our wrath, amen. amen. So if we are in Christ, we're not a point of wrath, Amen. We don't have to be concerned about God's wrath. Amen. We put our trust in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Amen. Amen. And look at Luke chapter 17, verse 26. Jesus says, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the day of the Son of Man. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. That's important. Now, I want you to understand this. My wife will sometimes, I share this verse with her. We just had this talk. We've had this talk a few times through our, my walk and my relationship with my wife. She'll say, man, I used to say, man, it's a ways off because it's not totally like the days of Noah yet. But she'll say, but now it's looking so much more like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. It's looking closer and closer. And she says, but it's going to get even worse, right? I say, yeah, because in the tribulation, it's going to be even worse. But it's really bad now. And I say, keep in mind, baby, that the scriptures show that there's also a sense of normalcy. People are marrying, inviting people to their weddings. People are uh, building projects and so forth, even during the tribulation period. Because the, the, the wrath hits in different spots at different times and escalates, amen? So also keep in mind, it'll be normal for a lot of people, just these things they'll get used to, even as we've gotten used to wars and rumors of wars now, right? Seems like our country's been at war forever now. But look at verse 28. Look what Jesus says. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. It's when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their homosexuality and other sins. They were eating. They were drinking. They were buying. They were selling. They were planting. They were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it what? Rained brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. On the day that God brought the brimstone was the same day they left. 
They didn't leave seven years earlier in a pre-trib Sodom thing. It was on the same day. Do you read that? The same day. Well, are you saying it's going to be the same on the same day at the very end? Yeah, because that's what Jesus said. Look at verse 30. It will be just the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Not seven years earlier. We go through some stuff. We go through some trials to test our faith. God will use that to purify the church. He uses trials. The blood purifies us from our sins, amen? God uses trials to purify our character, amen? And God's coming back for a church that's unblemished, but a glorious church that's in love with him, not this backslidden church that we see today. Amen? And Jesus goes on to say that there'll be two in the field. One will be taken, one will be left, right? It says that in Matthew 24, verse 42. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Amen? Amen. We want to make sure that we are right and ready for Jesus' coming. Amen? One will be taken. One will be left. But you know what? Go to Matthew chapter 25 right after Matthew 24, because it's saying all the discourse. I try to tell people, people say the Sermon on the Mount is the longest message that Jesus ever gave. No, it's not. It's actually the Olivet Discourse, because that's Luke 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24 and 25, and if you go through Harmony of the Gospels, put all those verses together in a semblance of the order that we understood that Jesus stated them, because some people work their harmonies out differently. It's the longest message Jesus ever came to get ready for these end times. So I love the Sermon on the Mount. I taught all the way through it verse by verse. It took quite a while. But I also love this. And Jesus warns them to be ready for his return. And then he says in chapter 25, verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. So you got ten virgins. They're waiting for the bridegroom to come. They're waiting for the wedding, right? And five are prudent. They're wise, but five are foolish. For verse 3 says, For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. They just thought, oh, I don't have enough oil. But the prudent took oil with their flask along with their lamps. They all have lamps. You got your lamp? You got a Bible? The Bible is a lamp. The word, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And praise God for his word. Amen. But you also need his spirit. If we have not the Spirit, we do not belong to Him, it says in Romans chapter 8. You can't just read your Bible, you have to know Jesus. Jesus says to the religious leaders, I say these things that you may be saved. And you read, you study, you search, He says, the scriptures that you, because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's these that speak of me, but you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. You can have all the scriptures, you can even memorize the entire Bible from Genesis 1 1 to Revelation chapter 22. But if you don't come to Jesus, man, you're not saved. You need to make sure you come to Jesus, amen. You need to make sure you have the Holy Spirit living in you. you make sure you've turned from your life of rebellion against him and embraced him through faith, amen. amen. Verse four, but the prudent took oil in flask along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, why would he delay? Because he wants more people to be saved. Amen. And by the way, a lot of Jesus' parables and teachings indicate that it would take longer than they would anticipate at first because we're taking longer in evangelizing the world, for one thing, right? And he wants more people to be saved. Verse 5, Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. Wow. 
That's interesting. What happened when Moses went up the mount to receive the Ten Commandments and the other commandments? It says specifically, he's a picture of Christ, remember? He led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, which was a picture of baptism. Brant brought to him the rock that he hit, which is a picture of crucifixion. Water came out and says that rock was Christ. They had all these wonderful experiences, but many of them fell asleep spiritually and did not end up in the promised land. Well, when Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, it said when they saw that he delayed his coming, basically they began to party and had an orgy and built the golden calf and began to worship it, breaking the very laws on the Ten Commandments. And Moses in anger threw them down. They broke because he thought it's all over. That's a picture of them breaking the law. The law coming through Moses, but, right, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom come. come the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Now, keep in mind, Moses up the mount, when they began to party, when they saw the Lord delayed his coming and began to commit idolatry and all stuff. Guess what, guys? That's a picture of what's happening in the church today. The Lord's in heaven, right? Now it's the new covenant. He's coming back. What's a lot of the church doing? Idolatry. Putting things before the Lord. Putting things before the Lord that break his heart. Amen? The good news is when Moses came down, the bad news is 3,000 were killed because the law kills. Amen? The good news is when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the new covenant, 3,000 people were saved. Amen? And for those who are trusting Jesus, it's salvation when he comes back. Verse 6, but at midnight, there was a shout, behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose up and trimmed their lamps. They're all like, praise God. Verse 8, the foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealer's. Buy some of, for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was what? Shut. The door was shut. Bam. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. You always want to make sure you're watching for the signs of the times. You want to always make sure you're ready for his return. Amen? Because for those who aren't watching for the signs of the times, he's coming at a time that you don't know, like a thief, and it's going to be too late. Amen? Watch out for idols. Watch out for saying, oh, he's not coming back for a long time. Because his return for you spiritually may be tomorrow, the day you die. Amen? Before his second coming. And what's amazing to me is the door will be shut just like the door was shut on the ark. Look at Luke 13, 22. Luke chapter 13, 22. And as he, it says, and he was passing, that is Jesus, through uh, from one city and village to another, teaching, proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are going to be saved? And he said to them, he doesn't get into argument how he's going to be saved. He just states matter-of-factly to that person. 
And by the way, a lot of times people want to debate you. Get right to the, you better get right with God. Sometimes you just need to cut to the chase. He says, strive to enter the narrow door. It's a narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, the bridegroom, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the people or the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you or but yourselves being what? Thrown out. The door was shut, man. The door will be shut. Amen. Amen. And could you imagine what it would have been like in the days of Noah? They're mocking Noah because we don't read of rain before that time. It says God watered the earth with a dew, just a lot of thick dew. Beautiful. And they, Noah's building the ark. And it says he was a preacher of righteousness. Amen. Talked about the patience of God in the days of Noah. God was patient with him. But God said in, in uh, context of the flood that his spirit would not strive with man forever. He was striving with them, pleading with them, preaching through Noah to get right, repent. But people were so far gone at that point that only Noah and his family went in the ark and they were mocking him. All these years, 120 years, he spent building that with his family. Then they go in and the door finally is shut. Then all of a sudden, these dewdrops start coming from the heavens. Then they start really coming down. And they're all saying, Noah's all wet. Now they're all wet. And now it's at their ankles. And now it's at their, their knees, Right? And they're like, man, you know, and then some of them are not probably smashing on, open it up, Noah, open up. Noah's not opened up, it's too late now. There comes a day when it's too late, amen? amen. And it was too late. It says in Hebrews 11, 7, but by faith, it says, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, says Noah built an ark to save his family by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah entered in the ark, man. But can you imagine they're pounding? Some are probably climbing trees, right? Some are going for higher ground and then it's getting up to their waist and it's getting up to their necks and they're climbing on their, on their homes and stuff and up high in trees and it's too late because God covered even the highest mountain, it says, with a flood. And it was too late. In the last days, says Peter says, there'll be mockers walking after their own ungodly lust, saying, where is the promises coming? They'll be doing the same thing. They'll be mocking us in the end times. But this time it will be by fire, amen? You want to make sure, as Noah got his family in the ark, you want to make sure you get your family in the ark, amen? Who's the ark? Jesus. How many doors to salvation? Just one. He's the way, the truth, and life. It's only one meeting between God and man, man Christ Jesus. Make sure you know Jesus. Make sure you're trusting him. Make sure you're in the ark and make sure you are ready to go. Amen? Amen. Make sure you are wearing the right clothes. Not witches' costumes and demon costumes. Amen? But putting on the helmet of salvation. Right? The, the, the breastplate of righteousness. That you're right with Jesus. And that can only come through what? Faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for your sins. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works that anyone should boast. Are you trusting Jesus? Are you trusting him for your salvation? Have you been saved? Are you being saved? If you continue to trust Jesus, you will be saved. Amen. For he that endures the end will be saved. Keep your clothes on. Amen. 
and make sure you get the spots out. And that comes if you're in this kind of sin, you need to repent and bring it before Jesus. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Make sure you're right with Jesus. Can everybody please stand as they pass out the cup and the bread?